We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fono. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Protein is like the construction crew of your body. Building and repairing tissue, protein helps make enzymes, hormones, and other chemicals our body needs to build bones, muscles, cartilage, skin, and a host of other anatomical needs. We often think that we get the best protein from meat, more directly from red meat. As with most times here on the Flavor University podcast, we're going to explore that idea and see if it's really that true, and if there's something else better out there. We'd like to welcome our guests today. First off, we'd like to welcome back Kaylin Cook. She is our senior application technologist and our first timer, new to the Flavor University podcast, scientist Sandra Scalantine. How you guys doing? Doing well. Good, thanks. Good. Glad to have you guys here. So... We're going to be talking about protein today as the intro kind of clued us into. We're going to be talking about your specialties, your expertise in this area. And we're going to be talking about, you know, I, I find it weird to say this, like the protein landscape, because in my head, I just picture like fields of bacon um, <laughs> when we talk about like the landscape of, of what's going on. But let's go ahead and start this like we always do. I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself. And Sandy, since you're new to the podcast, I'll let you get your feet under you. Uh, Kaylin, I'm going to ask you to go first. Could you introduce yourself, remind us who you are, what you do, and how you got here? Of course. I am Kaylin Cook, Senior Application Technologist here at McCormick Fauna, and I work on PN bar and PN beverage applications, meaning I work specifically in this space. So protein is where I spend a lot of my time in development. Some of my back history is I studied nutrition and wellness at Bradley University and have been working here for about six years. Now, you started saying P and bar. Am I hearing that right? Like, what is that? What is that? Is it P and bar or is it? So PN, I guess, is our short-term lingo for performance nutrition. You might also hear it as sports nutrition or just some other term that captures that better for you health. And so in my space, if I'm saying PN, it just stands for performance nutrition. So further, farther, faster, so to speak. Yes. I mean, I had to throw in my Marvel movie <laughs> quote there somewhere. So thank you for that. All right, Sandy, why don't we ask you the same questions? Go ahead and tell us who you are, how you got here, and what you do. Okay, well, hi, I'm Sandy Scalatine. I'm a scientist at Fona, and I work in the bakery segment and snacks segment at Fona. So I have been in the food and beverage industry for over 25 years, but um, mainly in a flavor house for 23. So working with protein and snacks and bakery, um, bakery I'm new to, I have worked with a, a lot of protein snacks in my past. So as creating seasonings for snack foods and now actually creating bakery goods with proteins has been a really learning curve for me and I've learned a lot. So it's been fun. Now is protein and baked goods something that's new or is that, you know, something we can look forward to or is that just, you know, something you, you're, you're exploring into and it's new to you? No, I mean, I think it's been around for a little bit and there's so much more of it coming out with the protein cookies. So I think protein really hit snacks first and bars first, and now it's really making its way into the bakery category. 
Now, before I dive into like a day in the life for you guys, let's talk about what protein actually does. Like when you guys make these foods, why are people consuming these protein products? What is, what is their intent when they do this? I think that protein has a healthy halo around it. So the consumer who's consuming protein might be doing it like you started off for the muscle building or recovery because of the sports activity they are participating in. Or they could be doing it because of meal replacement or satiety. So they might want it as the midday instead of eating lunch, I'll grab a protein bar or some other type of portable application to fill that day part. Or I think what a lot of consumers today, even parents or the average person, is picking up something that contains protein just because it's seen to be better than something that doesn't have it. Right. And I think in the bakery category, definitely everybody wants an indulgent snack, but they want to have that healthy halo, like you said. So they can feel better about eating a a cookie with maybe 13 grams of protein in it than as much sugar and everything else that it would have and all the carbs that you would get. I got to say, I love the terms that you guys in the lab coin, healthy halo. I think that's really ingenious because it instantly conveys exactly what I'm thinking. Like it puts it right into words as to when I hear the word protein, I'm thinking two things, one healthy and two, it's going to fill me up and keep me full longer than if I was eating empty calories. Um, unfortunately, my brain steers me more towards those empty calories. So that's, you know, that's on me. But let's go back to, let's go back to talking about a day in the life. When you guys show up in the morning, you know, and start your day, what is it you're working on right now? What is it you're looking to, you know, what's the first goal you're trying to get to in in your day? I would say a typical day for me starts with, say, a team kickoff, and then you roll into your project work, and the project work I'm working on is a protein ready to drink, and so you set that up in application, taste it with your team, and then you identify if you believe you're meeting that goal of the project, let it be to make it taste better or get rid of some of those off notes that the protein might be contributing to the base. And then if we feel that it, it is a good sh- spot, then we choose to send it out to the customer for evaluation. Yeah, and, and pretty much in the same, um, doing the same in bakery. I mean, we do a lot of application work in bakery and snacks and creating a lot of prototypes, using functional ingredients, providing flavor solutions for taste challenges that our customers have with their functional ingredients that they're using and also working with customers' bases so that can, we can really meet their objectives. So now when we talk about meeting their objectives, you're looking to find out what's important to them. So you have to explain to them what's important about protein. So what do you tell them? What's important about protein? Why do I need it? Well, if they have a, let's just say a, a project I'm working on right now is a pancake mix. And it's not your everyday really delicious pancake mix, right? It has chickpea. So they're going for that high protein, diabetic, then no sugar, And so their challenge is is they're looking for it to taste good with no aftertaste that you get from the proteins. And they're also looking for that high aromatic like vanilla or sweet flavor that you would get when you open up the bag of pancake mix, not chickpea or something very bland. So working with their product, I can actually work with it and manipulate the whole base with flavors and everything to to try and get that aromatic and flavor that they're looking for that's going to cover up the chickpea or the protein aftertaste. I never think about that. When I open a a thing of pancakes or a pancake mix, rather, I'm never, it's just there. Like I never think about, you know, 
this smells like breakfast to me, or this smells like morning for me. That's, that's something that's really cool to think about that. I mean, you have to think about obviously just to dive, to divert a little bit here. When you guys refer to yourselves, do you call yourselves the pro team? I mean, I think that's a missed opportunity if you don't, <laughs> um, but I really, I'm really excited to making a email distribution list for you if you need it Just say. So anyway, so what else about protein in general is important for you guys to consider when you're, you're making these products? I think in a note back to what you said that you always gravitate towards maybe the unhealthy thing or so a consumer has an expectation in their mind what this indulgent product should taste like. And now we're bridging it into the healthy camp, but they want it to still taste like that unhealthy thing. So when we're working with the other developers or our customers, we have to take into account or communicate to them that when introducing these functional ingredients or protein sources, there are other off notes and things that aren't inherent in the better tasting products. So being better understanding or communicative of what the off notes and challenges might be up front. And with bakery, there's even more challenges with removing gluten and not having those matrix that, you know, when you're using protein, it really absorbs a lot of the water. And so it can really mess the whole matrix of your gluten network. So like in breads, causing lack of volume and poor grain structure. In sweet baked goods, too much protein can cause your texture to become more crumbly. And it can also shorten the shelf life because it doesn't have as much moisture. So there's just a lot of things that you have to um, combat when you're especially doing bakery goods. So, you know, your bakery goods probably won't have as high of a protein as like your protein bars, but you can get pretty high as I've seen those cookies, like 12, 13, 14 grams of protein, which is a lot. And the best way to do that too is with a blend of different proteins. Now, when you say a blend of different proteins, and I'm going to go back to the gluten thing in just a moment because I have a question about that too, but what different types of proteins are we talking here? So there's whey proteins. And then with that, you can use nut seed, different proteins like almond, flour, other different types of flours, soy and pea proteins. It's just different textures. I could come, I could <laughs> jump in. So when we think of proteins, there are complete proteins. Those usually come from the dairies. So whey and milk and then incomplete proteins are usually more plant, meaning that they don't have the full amino acids behind it. So you have to typically pair pea protein with brown rice to then capture all of the amino acids. And then brown rice has some textural challenges that it's a little bit more gritty. So you might also want to pair it with a nut protein, like Sandy was saying, like almond or possibly even oat, depending on if you could have allergens and what holistic picture you're looking for in your end application. So you've mentioned whey and oats and pea proteins. What are some of the more oddball ones out there that we're using these days? Um, I think we talked about, what was it called? Something, something weed. Duckweed. Duckweed. What is this? It's actually it's like, a legume. Yeah. It uh, has like 45% protein like eggs and all nine essential amino acids and six of the conditional ones. So am I going to be eating this in my cereal box or what? I mean, if you're going for your run-of-the-mill, probably not. But if you're that shopper who shops at Whole Foods or the more clean label, it's already starting to be introduced into those more specialty shopping stores. 
And what do these look like? Like, what's the texture of, of just straight duckweed? I think that it's like beanie. If you think of lentils, it would give you that starchy texture. So those are all things that you have to consider. Base coloration, they're typically like browns. So if you're trying to make something that's maybe red, it might not go so well when mixing it with brown. It will just muddle it. So these are all things we have to consider when we're adding these novelty proteins is, oh, the consumer has an expectation of what it should look like, but it ultimately adds a little bit of a dirty appearance or even taste. So is this something that you can eat just outright? And if so, is it like you said, it looks like a legume. Are we dealing with a peanut or is this a lima bean? Is I mean, I haven't personally. I've seen it in a powder format and we add it into and then hydrate it in either a beverage or in a bar. I haven't specifically seen like at any shows or anything duckweed being called out. I'm literally going to my computer right now just to look this up, unless Sandy has a has a, another thing to say here. Well, I was just going to say there's so many coming out, right? So you've got watermelon yeah, and different seeds. So a lot of the seed and nut flowers are really becoming really popular. So especially like in a lot of bakery items, there's a lot of whey and whey isolate, but then you've got vegan, right? That they want more plant-based. So plant-based proteins are really becoming in the trends with these new like duckweed and seed flowers that you haven't used, like watermelon. Some other weird ones, cricket. I've seen that one quite a few. Yeah. And it's in cricket snacks, right? in uh, bars, pastas, mm -hmm. and it's like more seen as possibly more sustainable. And then there is like salmon protein, which I had the, the grace to work on a salmon protein bar. And there are some off notes that are inherent with fishy and proteins that are just not super enjoyable, but there's a consumer out there for it. That's a nice way of saying that it probably tasted kind of rough, huh? Like off notes and fishy don't, don't key anything off in my head, but for other people who are looking to do this kind of thing, I mean, I'm sure it sounds like, you know, honey to them, but looking up duckweed, it literally looks like pond scum. <laughs> yeah. like, I hate to say it like that, but it looks like little lima beans growing on top of the water. But it's really cool. I mean, it's it's a cool thought that this is out there and literally looks like it's ready for the scooping. But amazing, amazing. So going back to your off notes uh, with the salmon bar that you were you were working on, how do we combat that? How do we, you know, and Sandy, you were saying about making things taste good, especially in bakery, becomes difficult. How do we combat these off notes and these difficulties? There's certain plant-based proteins that work well with certain flavors, right? So you have this inherent maybe green note that might come out of, of a protein. And so you can pair that with certain flavors that would actually help it or use background notes like vanilla to also help and a characterizing flavor that would cover those notes up. And Kaylin, you probably can explain this too as well. I was going to um, say, we have another scientist in the lab. So in development terms, you can choose to hide it away or put it on display. So if you are choosing to hide it away, you could use taste modification technologies like sweetness modifiers or protein maskers to one use flavor to mask some of those off notes or unwanted notes in your base or you could choose to put it on display by pairing it with a complementary flavor or a congruent flavor. An example of that is if you were to pair 
pea protein with a pumpkin spice or a chai spice because the pea protein is brown and dirty and earthy it pairs with the pumpkin spice or cinnamon like notes now when we're talking about protein i often think of the powders that weightlifters or bodybuilders use frequently and a lot of times when i actually like looked into this kind of thing they talk about like which ones you know a lot of them are chalky or just you know, they use them because of, of the gains they get, but then they'll point you towards flavor. Is protein powder like notoriously difficult to make taste well, taste good? I would say yes, because it's inherently, it has off notes. So if you take whey proteins or other dairy proteins, there could be sour, cheesy, some have like soapy or bitter notes. Someone might say it tastes like baby formula. So if that's what you're starting with as your base and then you're trying to make it taste like cookies and cream, you have to cover up those off notes and have that characterizing flavor come out of the cookies and cream to cover those off notes that are, the consumer is not going to want. And I think that's why there's so many protein powders out there that are like chocolate, vanilla, you know, peanut butter, because those are the, some of the flavors that work well with plant proteins. That makes sense. I've seen on the shelves, that's primarily what I see is either chocolate or vanilla. Even in our own cabinet at home, my wife has a set of protein powders that are either chocolate or vanilla. It's rare to see something else. So we talked about protein in bars and grains and snacks, and we kind of talked about powders. What about like beverages? Are there protein beverages out there? You know, things that are just ready to go, pre-mixed yes. maybe? Absolutely. I work on a lot of protein powder beverages. So uh, some challenges I would say that I've seen in my little experience with them is that when you're working with the powders and then having the consumer hydrate them and put in a shaker bottle, the different proteins and mouthfeels are a lot different than what you would see when formulating with a bar because there is no binder matrix. So you get that grittiness and you get those undesirable notes a lot quicker because they're not masked by other base ingredients. So some technical things that I've picked up is it's really important what gums and um, sweeteners you're using because it gives you a better mouthfeel to reduce some of those gritty notes. And then even say introducing MCT powder to have some of that fat so that you're not feeling like you're eating chalk. So when you're talking about mouthfeel and grittiness and, and reducing the chalk, is that like the number one concern when it comes to beverage proteins or is it more, is it still taste? Taste will always be number one. If it doesn't taste good, a consumer is not going to buy it. If it's the wrong mouthfeel or not sweet enough, then I think those are two other major drivers in development that we pay attention to because it could taste great, but if it leaves a film or a coating in your mouth, then you might not go back for that repeat purchase. So Clearway in beverage is actually making it a lot easier to do those more fruity or exotic fruit flavors. So they might have a fruit punch or a cherry berry in Clearway that a traditional whey protein that would have more of those creamy notes might not work as well. So 
the sources of whey protein and proteins have come a long way in the last couple of years and it's allowing more profiles to enter the market. And just as the different proteins that you use, like you said, the whey proteins give you a much different off note. I would think maybe that chalky or like kind of describe it as like burnt hair <laughs> kind, uh -huh. of, kind of note. But then when you do your, your pee, then you get that beanie note, right? So there's just different proteins give you different off notes that you have to cover. And so you just, I think what Takalin was saying too, is using those flavors and characterizing flavors that work well and work with those proteins instead of against them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't put it on display, right? No. Yeah. If they don't pair well, don't try to put it on display. Mask it away. So we've talked about plant proteins and we, we kind of touched on the weirder stuff. The, the one that really caught me when I was reading through some of the material before we started and, you know, feel free to just give your honest reactions to this is air based protein. This sounds like some science fiction stuff to me. Like I, there's a movie out there where they, where they breathe liquid oxygen. And this just sounds like that to me. Like, Oh, you need more protein? Breathe this. I mean, how do I breathe protein? I haven't been lucky enough to work with air protein in the lab, but I have read about it. And I think what is most interesting of note is that it was something that NASA actually worked on in the 1960s for looking into bringing proteins to Mars. So they were forward thinking in the way that we're going to need protein and we're going to have to figure out a way to get it. But it's not something that I'm actively working with in the lab because, like you're saying, it is something that seems out of a sci-fi movie. It does. And so they say that carbon dioxide and converts them into nutrients. So it just really sounds pretty interesting to me. But I have not yet worked with it. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, if they're dealing with it for, like, you know, space travel and whatnot, it's probably expensive to do, I would assume, like the process in and of itself. I mean, I can't imagine the machinery that it takes to, to make that work. All right. We've talked about what is. We've talked about what was. Let's talk about what's on the horizon. Let's talk about that bacon landscape that I referenced in the beginning. What are we looking forward to in proteins? What's on the horizon? What's big and, and maybe even new? I think uh, what the consumer today is looking for is proteins plus something else. So they're not only looking to fit one need state. Some things that are starting to pop up in protein bars or other functional buckets that consumers want to hit are sugar reduction, brain health, immunity health, beauty, and just added vitamins. So there are things that consumers are looking for that don't just call out protein. And so working with the protein powders, we can also use other functional ingredients as well to add all of that. Chai seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, um, kale, different nuts, cauliflower, spinach. There's um, apples, oranges, fruits. There's so many different things that we can use to introduce more other functional ingredients with those proteins or whatever they're trying to achieve in, in immunity or like collagen or things like that. Sounds like everybody's just looking for that fountain of youth or that magic elixir, you know, kind of Harry Potter stuff here. Uh, I mean, is protein the way to, to get this introduced into your system? Like, you know, live longer, better skin, or is that, you know, is it just... Proteins are just important all the way around. So energy, you get less fatigue, it's good for your heart, cardiovascular, digestive, weight loss, weight management. Um, it fills you up, 
And I also think it's, if you think about it in the way of safe, so if you're consuming something that has whey protein or say you're a consumer that has dabbled in the plant proteins, that's the safe portion of the product that you're consuming. And you might be more open to trying something that has a immunity claim or a beauty claim when paired with protein because you already have protein things in your diet. So it's just another vehicle to bridge into more of those healthy halo products. As well as when you're on those keto diets or you're doing, you know, those specialized diets too, where you're just want gluten-free and avoiding soy and all the other diets, vegan proteins is a good way to fill you up. So my little saying in the beginning about red meat being a great source for protein, or is that still true? Are these plant proteins and weight proteins a better alternative? Or is that just something I'm making up? I think too many people eat red meat. <laughs> <laughs> Are you <Yeah>. vegetarian? No. <laughs> no. I think that sustainability plays a big role in what the consumer oh, yeah. is choosing mm -hmm. to purchase today. So if we even look at the different meat alternatives like Beyond Meat or the Impossible Burger, they are all using these different protein sources to create a product that mimics or is resemblance to a red meat, but also gives the consumer that peace of mind of oh, this is more sustainable or it could be helping the planet. So there's more that's feeding into it, I believe, than just these protein sources are better than these other ones. There are other trends influencing consumer decisions. And I feel like when people talk about the, these things, these proteins and impossible burgers and whatnot, they're always surprised when it tastes good. So, and I mean, you guys are doing this daily. You're literally making magic. You're, you're making this happen. So, I mean, if you guys don't look at yourself as unsung heroes, I mean, you should, because there are people out there who are depending on you to make these products taste good and they love that pleasant surprise. But all that aside, why don't we move on to our final takeaways here? So usually we ask you guys for two or three takeaways, important things for our listeners to remember. So Kaylin, take a seat for this time. Sandy, why don't you go ahead and start your, your two or three or one or two takeaways that you might have for our listeners. So whenever working with plant-based proteins or whey proteins, dairy proteins, I would just reach out to your flavor houses because they can help mask any of those off notes that you may be getting and any challenges that you may be having with flavor. No, if you've got more, if you don't, that's fine. So Kaylin, same question. If I can have, you know, one or three, one to three takeaways, whatever you've got for me. So I think the biggest takeaways are when working with protein in your end application, it's really important to consider your vendor because one protein powder is not going to be the same vendor to vendor. And then similar to what Sandy was saying, if you're working with your flavor house to create a taste optimization solution, it's not one size fits all. So depending on what you're looking to achieve, you have to work with your specific base and ven protein vendors. And then I think the other big thing is looking beyond just protein. So protein plus, protein plus what other ingredients might be compromising your overall base that would maybe not make it taste so great, but you want to hit those claims that your customer is looking for. And then I think that proteins are just 
something that is fun and that the consumer is going to gravitate towards on the shelf because they know what it is. We always stress that on the podcast is to work with your flavor house to get your desired outcome. You know, work with those flavor vendors. You know, we can't stress that enough, I'm sure. So this is where we go into kind of the more, the lighter side where I'm going to ask just some crazy flavor-related questions. This is off the top of your head. Obviously, I haven't given these to you guys ahead of time, so this is your honest reaction. Worst protein flavor? Uh, I think my least favorite protein source is soy protein because it tastes soapy and it's really astringent to me. So compared to the other proteins, soy is my least favorite. I have to agree with you. I, I do not like soy, and then for me, it would be the pea. The what is in your refrigerator or your cupboard right now that has the highest amount of protein? I am a high consumer of protein bars, no shocks. So, on any given time, you could open our pantry and find a plethora of protein bars that are almost 22 grams of protein or higher. I prefer whey dairy proteins over plants, but that is just my personal preference. And mine would be a, a whey plant protein powder with about 22 grams per serving as well, which I use in my drinks, so. Mine is the ham sandwich that I forgot to eat for lunch. I will be consuming that later. (laughs) 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 All right, great. Well, that's it for the Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guests, Kaylin Cook and Sandra Scalantine. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it. (laughs) 